Welcome back to the Shelf Oddities. My name is Erie. And I'm Serafina. And the oddity that I am feeling like today is the semi-viral oddity that just went around. That is a Midsummer's taxidermy raccoon, which I was obsessed with. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Absolutely Um, gorgeous. It's springtime. What kind of oddity are you feeling like? Before we move to my oddity, I was going to say my hot take about Midsommar is that it is a good for her movie. It's a great for her movie. Yeah, people like to say that it's not. You're fucking wrong. Anyway, um, (laughs) the oddity (laughs) that I'm feeling like today is a tattooed pig's foot. I'm going to say that the tattoo is some sort of elaborate, traditional, like, American eagle, because, like, fuck yeah, but, like, Mm. not with an American flag, uh, with, like, a gay flag. Like Like a pride flag. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're, yeah. we're yassifying the eagle. I love that. Traditional. They've been around forever, baby. What you talking about? Yeah, but yassified. On a pig's foot that is now a wet specimen. That's so interesting. I I used to see skin all the time that I thought was like, like you know, like the fake skin. Oh, yeah, yeah. That they use. I thought that's what it was. And it wasn't until you uh, started talking about these things that I realized it was pig skin. Yeah, because it tattoos the same as like it's so crazy. Um, I've I've seen a couple TikToks talk about how pigs are like pretty similar to us in like flesh. Yeah, and it like really freaks me out. It is pretty creepy. That's why um, we talked about that in the spontaneous human combustion episode because they used a pig to do testing because it's very similar to humans. Yeah, it's uh, unsettling. (laughs) Yeah, uh, which you know. If that's not the season two vibe, I don't know what else is. <laughs> it is pretty on brand, I will say. You know, so quickly before we get into our what we've been up to, this is technically our first real episode back. I We hope that you enjoyed the interview last week. It was fun to do. Thank you for interviewing me for my birthday. Of course. And um, just a rundown for season two, we're going to stay uploading on Thursdays, um, except for the bonus episode per month which is eerie's brainchild of our queer fear power hour very Mm -hmm. excited for that stay tuned because we have a lot of cool movies picked out we do between the three of us we're gonna cut we're gonna make a lot of ground because we all three have um very different tastes so yeah that is very true we're actually recording the next episode tomorrow and it's I'm really pumped for it. It's one of my favorite movies. So stay tuned for that. Um, But yeah, our our schedule will stay the same. I'm changing some things. I'm actually bringing in a lot of people to interview over the break. A lot of things happened in the world and um, I'm back on my activism era. I took a little bit of break because I had some medical stuff going on and I had to like focus on myself because the stress was crazy. Um, you know, when you're trying to face the po- the political world of this country, at least every day. Um, so yeah, now I, I'm fully back in it and we have some very exciting guests coming up this season and we have some really cool topics. So stay tuned. We are so happy to be back. I missed podcasting so much. I miss talking mm-hmm. with you frequently. I mean, we talk all the time, but like frequently learning stuff together is has been really fun so i'm happy to be back me too it's gonna be a really good time so what are some things that you've been up to over break i know you kind of had a crazy weekend you want to talk about that 
I did. I've had a crazy. My life's been fucking insane lately. I don't know what yeah. happened. I'm like full throttle, fucking pedal to the metal all of a sudden. We didn't come to play in 2023. I think is what we, happened. We really didn't. Um, our bodies told us to go fuck ourselves, and then our yep. lives also told us to go fuck ourselves. So we're just kind literally. of figuring that out. Literally. We're rebuilding. We are. Um, Reduce, reuse, rebuild, Rihanna. You know. You know, uh, gaslight gatekeep girl bosses. They say. Exactly. Um, so recently I went to Horror Hound. Um, it is our local horror convention. It is very close to us, so I don't even we don't even have to like travel for it, which is super nice. Yeah, it is cool. I had a wonderful time. My boyfriend and I went and it's super nice to have a tall person at a convention, yeah. let me fucking tell you. As a tall um, person, yeah, it's nice when I'm around for sure. It's great because uh, he could he can point things out for me, right? That I'll miss. So he'll mm-hmm. be like, "Oh, look at this ghost face thing," and I'm like, "I did not see that, for I am upon the ground, for I am a lowly human." <laughs> That's kind of funny because I use you for that because you'll be like, "Look at this," and it's like it's like three feet <laughs> off the ground, and I never look down. So I'm like, "Oh shit, dude, I would have missed that." It's so nice. Yeah. It's super great. Um, I got a lot of t-shirts because I'm back in my wearing t-shirts era. I kind of got out of it and then I got back into it. I don't know. It's We're figuring it out. You got some really cool ones, though. I will post them on Instagram because y'all need to see them. They're gorgeous. Yes, I did get a Jennifer's Body one. I got a Hex Girls one. Um, That's I did my favorite. One- yeah, that one is pretty good. I did want to specifically shout out um, Halftone Horror. They are at Halftone Horror on Instagram. I have bought a ton of shit from Halftone Horror. I love their stuff. The dude is just really cool. They are just a really cool person. Um, I met them at um, a horror hound last year when they weren't vending, and they just had like a genuine human conversation with me and a couple of my friends that were also attending the con, and they were just really cool. And since then, um, I saw them at Scarefest and Lexington and bought some stuff from them. And then this time, I also bought a couple t-shirts, obviously some more Ghostface merch, you know, (laughs) because that's... 95% 95% of my closet at this point. That is true. Um, in my uh, life. We will definitely throw their link in our bio as well. Or not the bio, but the show notes. Definitely check them out. They have really cool stuff. Yep. Um, they currently are starting to sell um, Pinhead t-shirts, but Pinhead is Hank Hill. And it says um, he's into propane and propane accessories. Hank Hill, king of the hell. <laughs> um, so that's really what you need to know. Amazing. Honestly, it's good shit. If that doesn't sell you. if it, if it Yeah, if that doesn't sell you, let me talk about my Frantic Mouth Sounds t-shirt. I think I've mentioned <laughs> that on the podcast before, but um, for a little while, um, Halftone had to start selling stuff that wasn't um like ghostface merch or like michael myers merch they oh, had like, to like it. yeah so they made up yeah. shit so my favorite shirt that i own is it's it's like a very shittily drawn ghostface stick figure and instead of saying like scream it says frantic mouth sound over top that's of it. so funny i think you have talked about that because <laughs> yeah. that's really funny yeah but that's also my halftone it's it's amazing shit um and then 
Whorehound is across the street from my favorite brewery, Third Eye Brewing. Um, they do a custom beer for every Whorehound that's on theme with what's going on at the convention. So um, last year they did like a Killer Clowns from Outer Space Cotton Candy Pier. Um, and they did a, it was called Say His Name because it was Candyman themed and it was a honey beer. And then this year they did um, a peanut butter beer. It was called Alien Bait because the theme was E.T. because there was a lot of um, people from E.T. attending the the cons so from the movie like actors and actresses so it was really really cool peanut butter beer does freak me out the idea freaks me out but i'm down it was delicious would drink again hell yeah um one other thing that we definitely wanted to cover was last of us because we both Mm -hmm. got into it i specifically kept up on it so sarah fina would not fucking murder me because um She gets upset. Like, have you watched the episode yet? And I'm like, no, I'm like two weeks behind. And she throws an actual fit. So listen, it was worth it for this show. It was worth it. it. Was. Tell me it wasn't. It, it was absolutely worth it. Uh, I don't know if we're going to talk about spoilers, but if we do, this is where we're telling you that we might talk about spoilers. So I don't know, skip a couple minutes ahead or whatever. It was Just good. basic ones. I don't think we'll do anything like I don't even know. Is there really anything to spoil? I don't think so. The other reason that like, why I like, kept up on it is like it's one of those shows that the Internet like immediately post everything yeah so i kept up on it because i didn't want it to get ruined it was yeah definitely well also one of my favorite things even about sports which was really interesting is the meme culture after something happens is one of my favorite things to be a part of and i do that with every hbo show of course but also like i've come to realize that i almost like that part of the experience more than the show itself Oh, the meme. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. The, specifically, this show is amazing, but like the Bengals had like a crazy year and then going on Twitter and like seeing all the memes were like sometimes better than the game because like people are just so funny. I just that's my favorite part of humanity is like everyone just being silly gooses, you know, we all have so much fucking trauma from existing in the last yeah. like 30 plus years. <laughs> like yeah. we have to be funny. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and we do have a very specific sense of humor and everyone on Twitter right after something happens are my people. Yeah. Um, so the memes, of course, were amazing. But this show standalone, I always think it's funny when a show comes out at the beginning of the year and steals every award that anybody could win for the rest mm. of the year. Yeah, because the whole cast was amazing. Every single person sh- showed up knew their assignment and and rent was due yep and it was wonderful the inclusion of a lot of the voice actors into the show um because this is a a show based on the last of us video game which i was a fanatic fan of um and the second game i mean i've i've been in it since the beginning since the first trailer i was sold and um this was a master class in stick to your damn source material yeah it it really was um they did a fantastic job on that i wish other people would take fucking notes hello game of thrones beep beep i'm calling you motherfuckers but hello halo series on amazon literally (laughs) just saying yeah yeah they had great source material and they stuck to it and where they did expand on, which was really only like what one episode really that wasn't perfect storyline was worth it and helped the story not hurt it, which was huge. 
the budget on this was crazy and that did show off the Mm -hmm. cgi and everything was beautiful there was so many practical effects which i'm sure you were a huge fan of oh yes the uh costuming and the practical effects that they did on the infected were amazing um i'll always preach the gospel of practical effects but mm-hmm. like this is not like the the kitschy practical effects that like I personally love that looks like you know Plato and duct tape put it right. together. This is like HBO money level of practical yeah. effects. This is like what you want to see from practical effects because yeah. my the thing that I will always harp on is that we stopped doing practical effects and switched to CGI, mm-hmm. and all of those fucking awesome people who did that couldn't keep doing it and like honing their skills and getting better and having more materials and having more money put into the budget. This is an example of what happens when you let those artists do their fucking art and it works. This was practical effects. So damn practical. If I were to see it in real life, I'd be scared. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Which is insane. I mean, they're not even like green screened out in parts or blue screened out. Like they're fully. Yep fully mushroomed up like it's crazy and i'll tell you one thing about cordyceps they'll grow on you you know yeah and um i just i genuinely really like the show every single part about it at first i was nervous about the casting because i was like pedro pascal is such a talented actor but how does he pull off this like serious rugged texan cowboy with so much trauma and let me tell you that man did it he serves Literally. He did the damn thing. Every episode, every scene. Yeah. He said, my my rent will be paid. My lights will stay on forever yeah. for the rest of my life. And the awards he will win from this will be crazy. Also with Bella Ramsey, her I wasn't necessarily nervous about. I saw Ellie from her from the get-go. Also, her character in Game of Thrones sold me on anything that she will ever do for the rest of her life. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't need to try, really. She's Our just bare island queen. It. Like, we love yeah. her. And she she did it. She also did it. She did the damn thing. And they were perfect casting. And if you haven't seen the show, go watch it. Uh, You'll watch all of it in a day. It's like nine episodes. It's like nine hours. And it will probably change your life and how you see the world and how you see practical effects and art and source material. It. Yep. The soundtrack, the everything. So good. Um, And let's uh, shout out the CGI, not actually CGI giraffe. Yeah. Oh, you want to tell them? (laughs) We talked talked about this a little bit at the end of uh, a recent, I think it was your episode, but like, (laughs) if someone had been like, wow, that draft CGI great, I would have been thinking it was CGI for the rest of my life. Literally only thing in the scene that's not CGI. (laughs) She literally looked it up and was like, I couldn't believe how well they did it. And then saw the behind the scenes where like the draft, the only thing real. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Which was like, Kind of a pivotal moment in the game and people didn't think that they were going to do it because, you know, giraffe. giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like I said, they stuck to that source material and it fucking worked. And uh, Bella Ramsey's her acting where they would they wouldn't go and look at like the serious moments. They look at her face and this like mental decline that she went through. Oh. Yeah. Give her all of the fucking awards, dude. Also, um, her friendship with Pedro is just so, it's, I love it so much. They're they're just buddies. They're just best buddies. Mm -hmm. And I love everything about it. Best buddies getting to record and make money together. Look at them doing it. Literally. Well, and also I think that it couldn't have probably been better timing for Bella. Um, 
because Bella's going on this like non-binary journey currently. And I don't know if you know this, but Pedro Pascal's sister um, went through a transition and he is one of the most outwardly supportive brothers of any gay person, LG, Al- alphabet mafia in general. He's so outspoken in, in his love for her and to have Bella have that kind of mentor in this industry, I think, is. It's going to there's going to be ripples of that effect, I think, for a long time. Yeah, I also appreciate that that is happening on screen and she's so young. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important to have that type of representation, especially in something like this, where Mm -hmm. this is, um, again, an example of a piece of media that connects the nerds and the non-nerds, which is what I loved so much about Game of Thrones, right? It takes all of those people who wouldn't normally be into this nerdy thing and makes them into the nerdy thing. And having representation like that in something that became so viral and so pivotal, like in society for, you Mm -hmm. know, the amount of time it was out is really fucking so. And also in a piece of media that's not afraid to be gay as fuck. Yes, and a piece of media that that. was already gay as fuck, and now they're just making it more gay. (laughs) I love that. I mean, you have, like, like my mom, who's, like, almost 60, who never would have watched, like, never would have played the game or anything like this, texting me crying about the third episode, you know, being like, oh, my God, this episode, like, I'm, like, like, where are my Kleenex? Like, people falling in love with gay characters, and um, then those the that cast themselves also being in the same scenario i think it just adds to the layers i mean there's so many layers of what makes this show great but knowing outside and inside it's just full of this energy and passion that all these people have for a living is just wonderful yeah agreed well should we um oh should I talk about what I've been up to, I guess, very quickly? Yeah, let's you let us know. We also have a very long topic. We're serving the we're serving the people. <laughs> Strap in, kids. Like this is a long this is gonna be a long podcast no matter what, I guess. But um I have been having my own little last of us medical moment. Um I um had a really shitty first part of the year. We talked about our bodies rebelling against us. We both had some not fun health things, but we're both, I think, getting to the other side of that or on our way. I had to do a bunch of iron transfusions um, over the month of March, and I actually just got my last one, and I am feeling better. I actually didn't realize how terrible I felt until the first one, and like the day after, I was like, whoa. Like, I forgot what it felt like to feel your muscles, because <laughs> I had iron deficient anemia like you know the serious one I guess or whatever and um it was it was just really bad I didn't realize until I saw like a number and then I felt the feeling of the next day being like oh this is crazy and I feel like um I didn't think about sharing the side effects before but I had a couple side effects that I didn't realize were anemia and I thought that maybe sharing them could maybe help somebody. Hopefully none of our oddlings are dealing with any of this, but I figured I would share. Some side effects of iron deficient anemia, um, first and foremost, is that if you eat a meal and then feel like you're freezing afterwards, you might just have anemia. So get that checked out. I have never felt cold in my life. Like I am a six to well 
well padded person. <laughs> I've I've never been cold a day in my life. I am a heat house. I could sweat just sitting here. I actually probably am, you know, at this point, like I have iron again, but um, I would eat a meal and then have to like wrap myself up in like a fleece blanket because I would be shaking. I was so cold. And Do they I didn't why it does that. Um, basically, it like fucks with your blood pressure um, oh. and like all this other stuff. Yeah. And like you don't have irons and then your body doesn't have like the energy to digest the way it does. So then it uses all like the heat in your body and then you're like, oh, OK, yeah, that, that makes sense. Super weird. Um, another thing I had was called rhythmic tetanitis, which basically and I hope if I do this correctly, it doesn't blow out your eardrums. But my how do I explain this? Your blood gets so thin that you have tiny vessels that sit next to your eardrum. And when your blood gets so thin, that vessel will constrict and you will still have to force blood through there. So basically, every day for months, to which I didn't realize, but it's very common, at night you would go to lay down and you'd like do your whole nighttime routine and like, you know, change your clothes, blah, 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 do all this, this stuff that like makes your heart need to beat. I mean, besides living, I guess I kind of said that I'm weird, but um, I would lay in bed and the whole house would be quiet and I would hear like footsteps in the house. Right? Like. Constantly. To the point of there was multiple times I had to ask my spouse, like, will you check? I, I swear I'm hearing somebody in the house. And as my anemia got worse, it was constant. I mean, I was hearing it during the day. I was hearing it at night. I had to like walk around with like soundproof headphones on to like blast noise into my ear so I didn't hear it all the time because it was driving me crazy because that vein is every time your heart beats is pushing up against your eardrum. And I was just living with that for like months. Um, so, yeah. So if you're having any of those symptoms, because um, like for me, I was just like, oh, man, like I knew I was going through health stuff and I was like, I need to take it easier. You know, like I'm hearing my heart be like this. This is crazy. It's not normal to hear it like that. Like it's it's normal if you've been like out doing like a heavy lifting or not heavy lifting, but like a heavy workout or whatever, like hear your heartbeat a little bit, but not not like constant. not just chilling. Yeah. yeah. So so we had that going for us and that was awful. So like and there was a couple of times we were like recording podcasts and I was like, I have no idea what you just said to me because it just sounds like someone like slamming into the side of your head like. It was awful. So now I don't have either of those symptoms, which are huge. I don't have a lot of other symptoms either. Like if you, uh, I am six two, so like me getting up off of a couch, I'm already traversing like four <laughs> feet, you know, like I'm already elevating myself a lot. But it'd be to the point I like stand up and like have to like be against a wall for a little bit. Like just there's a lot of things also that the anemia was causing that was causing me great stress. And so now I have iron in my body again which is wonderful and um yeah if you are going through something like that and you feel like you're withering away like you go talk to a doctor and I don't mean to say that to people who can't afford it if you can't I understand it's not like I can necessarily can't you know cash out all that that much either luckily our insurance is pretty okay but um there's still you know a lot of we live in america so the insurance like some of it but it it 
does matter. I mean, I was I was pretty much disabled um, for like, I don't know, the last year, would you say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's been really bad. It's it's been rough, but um, I yeah, I definitely want to encourage you. If you're someone who just needs a push and has the means to, please go. Um, within a month, I feel better. Within a month, I can hear again. You know, like it definitely matters. Um, taking care of yourself definitely matters. And if you can't afford it, take care of yourself in other ways. I you can please. It's it's crazy how much that stuff compounds, and you don't even realize how bad you feel until the day after a treatment and you're like whoa i don't feel like the wind's gonna knock me over and i actually feel the outline of my body where my muscles are again like yeah what was the joke you kept saying like kept don't ask saying, sarah to do that your insides are liquid like a gelatinous cube like all of you yeah. including yeah. my bones including yeah. your yeah at one point you literally someone hugged me and you were like don't do that her bones are dust like <laughs> yeah literally explode fucking mm -hmm. not even like spontaneously combust into fire but just like a puff of smoke just like yeah or just thanos me and be fine yeah yeah so yeah so that's basically what's been going on over break um i got healthier and you did some scary shit yeah. bada bing bada boom um plus a bunch of other stuff in our personal lives that no one ever really wants to hear about but it is now springtime which is exciting um so i've also been in the garden a lot and doing a lot of planning very excited to have energy before this crazy season that's about to happen i'm very pumped about that hell yeah hillier all right well I think that maybe now that we've uh, been recording for <clears throat> like 20 plus minutes, um, we should probably get into our topic now. Yeah, I'm let's sure go. the people I'm sure the people missed us like we missed them. And I'm glad to give the update. But I think we all maybe are ready to learn something. Sure. Go on a little journey. All right. So I have this hyperfixation on the past. Specifically, the past around this golden era of America, quote unquote, the make America great again type era, if you will. Also, one, that era doesn't exist, and we will go over some of that later. And two, I'd like to believe that our audience realizes who that era was great for. Not us, not women, not people nope. of color, not poor people, not the mentally ill. I can keep going, but I hope y'all can read the room on that. The past is so easily romanticized. Poodle skirts and drive-ins, milkshakes and hitting black people with a fire hose. Sorry, how did that one get in there? Who approved this textbook? I think Ron missed one. Yeah, I'm already doing DeSantis jokes. Season two starting off real strong. We're just going in heavy. Anyways, the era after World War II where every American had a rock hard erection for elitism and innovation. There was no instruction manuals on anything and we didn't need McDonald's to tell us that the coffee was hot. Kids were kids and men were men. All of these topics I will be covering later in our season because I could really go off about a lot of them. Anyways, that era was crazy. If we can suspend our belief and put aside the human rights violations occurring at a massive scale and slip into the warm house band music coming out of the Victrola, I love to talk about their innovations and how it was all basically smoke and mirrors. 
heavy on the smoke. So let's do that. Another field trip with the frizz? No way. <laughs> let's step through the door of a light blue mid-century home. Glenn Miller playing on the Victrola, a nice old-fashioned waiting for you after a long day of making the equivalent of $50 an hour at your $3 an hour per wage. And when you sit down on that plush, comfy new couch, you look around at all these shiny new appliances, man-made fabrics, and the future is now. Let's light up a cigarette for your health and settle in for this journey. Because if it's not for your health, what else is it for, right? I mean, why? I mean, they would never lie to us, right? No, of course not. The, this cancer stick is not cancer stick. It's no. It's just, it's nicotine for your health. Nutritious. Expands the lungs. Get a deep breath. Absolutely crazy. I can't believe that was really a thing. <laughs> inhale the smoke and deal with it domesticity had never been more comfortable like a bubble bath that wrapped around your pale skin but really so many of these comforts actually wrapped around you like a dirty plastic bag taking away your breath slowly the killers in your carpets the killers in your dinner plates the killers are in your walls the height of modernity was also the height of danger. Middle classes were a boom, spending more than ever before on record. Politicians boasting about how good it was for everyone. Children, well, you know, for everyone. <laughs> Children now had space and rooms of their own. Toys out the wazoo. So that's where we meet our first dangerous product. Baby's first chemistry set. <laughs> In the post-World War II, children were inspired by the tales of soldiers, maybe their father, a brother if they were old enough, and their bravery against mustard gas and other biohazards. They were marketed to by Santa Claus in the local paper that they could run on down to the corner market and become the next scientist to save our country. So this was a box that looked like any other board game. Flashy green and blue font on the front, beckoning children to mix up chemicals. <laughs> You'd open this box and find small glass test tubes filled with raw chemicals and a Bunsen burner. Don't worry, though, these kids were tough. You would not find safety glasses included. Who needs them, bro? Nah, dog, it's the 50s. All, kids are kids. Kids are kids. Don't even worry about it. Who cares if they lose an eye? It'll be fine. They'll It'll learn. be fine. They'll learn learn some from dirt it, in it. Exactly. <laughs> I can't. Every time I, like, read this, I'm like, I can't believe this is real. Uh, there was an instruction booklet, no diagrams though, because they wanted these kids to be inspired by their own imagination. No, no democratic red tape holding these kids back. Can I just say that's not how chemistry works? <laughs> this literally, like, science is not here for your imagination, baby. Like, that's not, that's not how any of that worked. Um... A lot of this actually comes from an absolute history video on YouTube, and I absolutely love their channel. I do recommend you go and watch them. I didn't cover everything that they covered because there's a lot of British stuff in there on all of their stuff. 
Um, but this part I did cover a lot of because I just found it to be so interesting. And if you like some of the stuff that we tend to talk about, you're going to love their channel. So I definitely recommend it. But also, we're probably going to cover a lot of the same similar topics. So maybe don't spoil yourself. I'll leave that up to your decision. But I really do like absolute history. In their video, they tell a story of two young kids mixing up liquid oxygen. And of course, you know what that means. An explosion occurred. Of course. Those two young boys, unfortunately, did not become the scientists of tomorrow because a chemistry set killed them that day, which is just devastating. Yeah, that's horrible. And like, it's horrifying. Generally, no one's taking responsibility for that, of course. No, definitely, definitely not. Another child blew out his living room window on a sunny afternoon. Just pop that window right out the wall. I think what's also crazy about that is that they're not like sitting at home on their phones and their iPads in their house. People are like outside, like on their yeah. bikes and stuff when this shit is happening. Mm -hmm. Like the little old lady across the streets, like watering her yard, like just gets taken out by a bay window. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely not. Not a phone in sight. People were just living. Literally. And dying and literally dying. But anyway. Mm -hmm. Many of these chemicals are caustic, or were caustic at the time, harmful to the skin and eyes. The whole point of these were to impress your friends. You want these bright colors, you want the reaction. Basically the same as all those David Dobrik videos that went super viral because he used to flood his own backyard with like this insane foam like every other month. And at least David did warn children that this was not to be done at home. And he did have a scientist with him. I don't know if the scientist was a real scientist, but at least like to his children's audience, like they would never know, I guess. Um, but it was the same kind of feeling that they were trying to inspire in these kids. These booklets literally have a quote in them saying, science is never evil unless used by the wrong hand of men, as if. Science has a moral judgment. Right. As if chemicals care. Like it's, you're a yeah, child. Exactly. They were basically saying only Hitler can harm you with science, kids. But like that's not how science doesn't care. Science does not care about your character. Science is science, honey. Kind of ridiculous. Kind of ridiculous. I take that back. Super ridiculous. A 14 year old kid. And 14. I mean, that's not even that young, but like it's still a kid, obviously. But a 14 year old put some of these chemicals in his pocket to take to a friend's house later. And these chemicals reacted to his body heat and ignited. Like raw chemicals that that could be heated by body heat was given to human combustion. Hello. Luckily, he was around an adult who wrapped him up in a coat to smother the flames. Did he live? like he? Yeah, he lived. And everyone else around him lived too, but like he, I mean, he lost his fit. It also fucking traumatized, I'm sure. Yeah, well, and he definitely did have like burn marks and stuff, had to be taken to the hospital, but he did live. And they don't believe but in I therapy mean, back then, so. Right. I mean, think about like, and these are just the recorded ones. And like, you have to think, this is the 1950s, and I'll talk about that even more later, but like, think about how many kids like lost fingers or like, damage their lungs entirely you there was like raw potassium in this no 
Like, so crazy. Like, here, kids, have some sulfates. Go for it. Like, what? Dog, <laughs> what is happening? Um, what's actually crazy, too, um, is that there was a difference in British versus American science labs as well. America was more focused on the atomic energy labs. I mean, not for any obvious reasons. We didn't do atomic energy. Atomic energy is cool. We did like we did good things with it. It's so rad. Yeah, super progressive stuff, you know. So cool. <laughs> these kids had uranium dust in them eerie no you're like literally like live uranium dust in a geiger counter in them why are we so okay i get it i was gonna say why are we so hot to try for uranium you know why because it glows in the dark i too would do some dumb shit for shit that glows in the dark i mean uranium glass is cool because it glows like under a black light it doesn't glow in the dark do they use it in watches isn't that the uranium girls thing Oh yeah, yeah. I it's just so oh, it's so crazy. I understand. Just, Pretty shiny, but not worth dying for. Well, what's crazy is that you would think like, oh, they took it off the shelves because they were just putting uranium in children's hands, but uranium doesn't explode like that. Uranium isn't cool on its own, so the company stopped selling them because they were too boring. No one wanted them. Yikes. They're too boring, says the first, like, wow. They obviously don't like walking away from explosions like cool people. (laughs) Clearly. Um, So I will leave you with the tagline on these fun little kits that I gave to children. Experimenter today, scientist tomorrow. Okay. (laughs) Except for those kids that didn't make it talk like... Anyway, um, our next fun game for kids is one that I actually get super fired up about because many a conservative boomer loves to point to these like fun outdoor games they played, how their parents would let them out till sundown and brag about it as if it wasn't literal serial killer fodder. Like just ripe for the picking. Like, it's so crazy. <laughs> and they lovingly recall this perfect game called Lawn Darts. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. Oh, the fun little game. So if you don't know what these little weapons of mass destruction are, I will elaborate. Imagine a dart that you would find in an ordinary bar, but giant. Like 12 inches giant. Like metal needle at the end that's giant. And all of that good stuff. And then you give it to a seven-year-old. That's lawn darts. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, yeet this across the yard, little Timmy. <laughs> Basically. So this game set came with two red darts, two blue darts, and two targets. Where They're basically collapsible hula hoops. And the metal tip on the end was so that the dart could penetrate the ground inside the target. These things were sharp and would mark your place in the target with pristine accuracy. They made them sharp enough to penetrate the ground for about four inches. So that way you would know exactly where you hit on the target. Also exactly where you hit another human, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty accurate of where you marked (laughs) another person on the body. Yeah, for sure. These things were crazy. Now, what could go wrong with a bunch of drunk adults throwing around (laughs) giant darts? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing that I can see, truly. Yeah, definitely not. And I mean, what could even go worse 
with a bunch of children seeing their parents have an absolute fucking blast and then recreating it. Uh, you know, that doesn't spell out any trouble for me. What about, do you think, do you see anything wrong with that? No, that sounds really safe. I mean, it sounds like a lot of fun, like a good Friday night. So, um, I found that just in America, our government has records of an estimated 6,100 people having to be treated in hospital emergency rooms for injuries involving lawn darts from uh, 1936 when they were brought out to 1978 when they were um, made illegal. And that's 1950s hospital record keeping. Which, you know, is not great. Yeah, I mean, most people didn't even live close enough to a hospital. So, I mean, imagine you get, like, stabbed in the foot. You're not, like, going to the hospital. So, it's like, how many actually happened? I double it, but who knows? At least 80% of the victims were younger than 15 years old. Oh, no. More than 50% of the victims were 10 years or younger. So. I don't like that either. That means 3,000 kids, at least, no. were documented. Um, and more than half of the victims had injuries to the head, eye, ear, or face. Yep. Investigations <laughs> indicated that severe injuries included punctures, lacerations, and fractures to the head and skull. Because, you know, when you throw things in the ground and then they come down, that's like, you know, on top of children. You know, like actual, like basically swords, just like. <laughs> yeah, actual just daggers being lobbed at six year olds. Yeah. Yeah, not great. Um, although most of the victims were actually bystanders. Oh, you mean they weren't just playing? No. <laughs> in many cases, those playing the game were children hurting other children just standing off to the side yeah um because you know what kids do when they have something dangerous they <laughs> throw it at their friends I, they do that's 100 percent true yeah, or their siblings yeah i mean that still leaves like two thousand of these people being adults like just in the record so like even though most of them are kids there's still two thousand like adults that just got fucking decked by a lawn dart absolutely murked um so i do want to say unfortunately this did result in multiple deaths a lot of adults were actually um hurt severely fatally by this um but most notably a young girl was killed and her father uh then took up in arms how dangerous this shit was and like kind of made like a national stink about it and while he was bringing this case to the public and like suing the company a six-year-old boy was also hit that same week and put into a coma that he did not recover from oh. so after that the heat was too much and there was laws put in place in the late 70s 1978 and the dart packages are now required to bear warning labels and toy stores and toy departments are prohibited from selling darts. Children have continued to find them and play with them and be injured by them. In a recent survey, uh, the agency that handles this kind of stuff actually identified numerous violations of warning label and retail sales requirements. So like you can still find them, like you can buy lawn darts off like Etsy and stuff. 
Um, and kids still like to this day get hurt with them because so many like boomers are like back in my day, we had so much fun because they have like survivor bias because like their cousin didn't get murdered at the cookout, you know? Yeah. But like, <laughs> I just it's just crazy. So when you see people uh, like these days be like, damn, these kids nowadays are so soft. Bring back the lawn darts. Those people have lead poisoning. Let's not forget, mm-hmm. probably from the lead cast toys that I also played with in those times. Um, and that brings me to my next silent killer of the mid-century home, which was lead. It was yeah. everywhere. It still is all over the fucking place, but it was everywhere then. I do think that I'm going to do a whole podcast on lead poisoning and how it has affected the globe with its major impacts. Oh, that'll be so fun for me to hear the one who potentially has lead in her bones just waiting to take me out in any minute. (laughs) It's a the brain rot on lead is so real. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why Erie gets so mad about soup. You know, it's just the lid. (laughs) It's just, yeah, that's it. Got me. All right. So I do want y'all to know that when I say it was everywhere, I mean it was in the walls and the paint. It was in their plates. It was in their cups. These insanely marked up vintage Pyrex bowls everyone wants to collect now. Those are just like glazed with lead. There were these plates called Fiesta plates back in the day, and they came in like all these beautiful colors. And the reason that they're so beautiful is because they were glazed in lead and cadmium. Which are not things you want to put in your body. (laughs) You know, just in my kitchen, though, that's where I really want that, you know? Yeah, you know. Uh, FDA regulations on lead and cadmium didn't crop up until about the 1970s when people started putting two and two together. Lead actually compounds in the body, so it never leaves. Once it's in there, it's in there. And every day, these people were... um, you know, heating up a hot coffee mug glazed in lead and cadmium and just slurping it down, uh, which is it's just not it's not great. I actually do think that it's a reason uh, for the infertility like shit that you see everywhere now, like everyone has it, including like your girl here. So mm-hmm. I do think a lot of that is lead poisoning. But like I said, I will do an episode in the future about that because it I'm telling you this brain rot it's a deep deep topic and I do want to cover it um so yeah the dishware at this time it was just killing folks and uh where does dishware live in the kitchen which was all the rage in the 1950s picture with me if you will a tidy woman in a fitting dress adding that secret ingredient into all of her dishes no, not love. Lead. Oh, no. I <laughs> mean, it's an L word, right? An L word of some sorts, that's for sure. Um, post-war, this was how a good mother loved her family. Spending all day in these kitchens after a decade and a half of food rationing due to the war. Food was everything. Once again, all the rage. People were indulging. Celebrity chefs became iconic in society for the first time. Rationing had really brought forward factory farming as we know it today. And I did come across this on First We Feast blog, which is um, Sean Evans blog, the guy that does hot ones. Mm, Yeah, they did like a history about chicken. And I just thought it was really interesting. So I want to share it now. 
After the red meat rationing of World War II came to a close, the supply of chicken coming out of chicken farms remained steady while demand sharply declined. Prices dipped proportionally and the new fledged broiler industry was worried. Looking to improve the lot of the American chicken, in 1948, the U.S. government announced its Chicken of Tomorrow competition, aimed at breeding a bird with bigger breasts, plumper thighs, and the <laughs> same, and, <laughs> and layers of white meat that would grow fatter faster. Hearing word that there was a $5,000 cash prize for such a bird, Farmers throughout the country submitted their plumpest and most efficient growing chickens for judging. The results of this competition had on American dinner plates were immediate and profound. Not only did the chicken of tomorrow winners grow bigger in less time on less feed as the contest originators desired, but also the texture and size of its wondrously large, huge breasts delighted the American eater, which <laughs> same. Um, they were used to seeing chicken as scrawny. Utilizing the bird's newfound feed efficiency, within a decade, the big vertically integrated chicken companies like Tyson and Purdue were fully established and churning out records amount of cheap chicken. Almost overnight, what was once one of the most expensive meats in the grocery store became the cheapest. This is the decade that salmonella exploded across Great Britain and then consequently the globe. First we feast and say that I did. This is the decade that salmonella just fucking exploded. Salmonelli. Salmonelli, salmonelli. Britain, by the end of the 1950s, was annually pushing out 75 million chickens. At the start of the 1950s, they were only pushing out about 5 million. So, I mean, we're talking insane growth. What that means then, because Britain is small, they had to import feed and a lot of it. And this feed was full of a lot of ground meat and a lot of things that were infected by salmonella. So, because of these origins and contents, the birds were then infected. Which mm. means the processing factories were now infected. Which means the grocery stores were now infected. And then the big kicker was that now your kitchen table was infected. A bunch of infected meat was given to people who didn't know how to handle food safely. The processing plants were cleaner. The grocery stores were cleaner. They had rules and regulations they had to follow, and they were taught these things. But the home kitchen was not. Uh, this led to outbreaks of salmonella all over the damn place. The analysis showed later on that in post-war Britain, the middle class no longer had servants. Um, like they did pre-war. They couldn't afford to pay anyone anything. Um, and they were handling food they had never handled before. I mean, why, oh, why didn't anyone think of the white woman? How mm. dare they? <laughs> also, during this time, chickens were sold with the guts intact, and it was on the consumer to properly dress their food. Which, like, to be fair, 
um, to, you know, those poor hapless housewives. Why didn't anyone think of holding butchering classes? Like, it does seem odd. Also say, like, why didn't... I know it sounds weird now, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because we don't have to do that. Logically, to me, it makes sense that we would keep doing that so that you could learn that skill, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I also understand, I'm sure capitalism is the reason why we don't do that anymore. Why we don't gut them anymore? Or why they don't sell them with the guts anymore. I'm assuming that the consumer didn't. Um, it, a lot of the shit that we pay for now is convenience. Uh, um, yeah. Because the consumer back then, uh, how they marketed stuff and how they price pointed stuff was when it was guaranteed that you had someone in the home if you were working a 40 hour work week. Sure. So like butchering a chicken for them would cost you know 17 cents an hour which was the equivalent of like however many bucks an hour to us now um where they could just send it on down the line and then do it at home for free yeah basically but those women those women weren't taught any of that yeah and that led to this this crazy issue here it's it's kind of wild because even today there's a debate on washing chicken before cooking it um it does seem to be a cultural thing um but a, a lot of the debate comes from some scientists because it's actually really hard to kill salmonella and it's hard to kill salmonella in a sink so if you're washing it like water splashes everywhere and then you have like little droplets of salmonella all over the place mm-hmm. and that's not wonderful no. Um, and in theory, if you cook it correctly, that should kill all the salmonella. But I do understand why in a lot of cultures there is a, a huge push for for wa- for washing things. Actually, did you know this? I just told my spouse this the other day. There's this huge cultural divide on like um, people of color seasoning their food and white people not seasoning their food. Do you know why? Why? Could you maybe take a guess that it was racism? Oh, it usually is. So um, I'm going to specifically say black people in this moment. I know Hispanics also talk about this a lot, but they also do come from a uh, like a different culture in the scenario where I'm talking like specifically like enslaved people. Uh, Once they were like free, um, they could only either afford or were only sold like days old meat that was like nasty or Mm. the worst cuts of meat and they had to season the shit out of it to make it palatable to them oh okay yeah it always comes back to racism and for some reason i do always know it but that's just because i listen to a lot of black creators because i think that shit is so interesting like make america great again we're talking about an era in which black people had to season their food so badly because they not badly so goodly they do an amazing job don't get me wrong but they had to season it so heavily because of racism and it's like tight america was never great dog i don't know what to tell you Mm -hmm. um but there's also the cultural divide on that too um also it's not only just like white v black but also rich v poor um where a lot of like poor white people couldn't even afford seasoning nor were they farming seasonings so like they weren't even like close to it in in general so that's why you have like a lot of like poor white people who like have like a lot of salt because they were around that kind of stuff but not necessarily like a lot of like um spicier seasonings but then you get to like upper middle class and rich people and they're like here's some boiled chicken yikes because they always got the best cuts of chicken even though it was also killing them like with salmonella right um 
oh, you know what? I have one more thing because I'm already on this. Like we uh, we barely get to talk on these topics where like I know so much. Have you ever listened to an Irish accent and a Jamaican accent? No. So they basically when Jamaican uh, when the Jamaican people speak English, they sound relatively Irish. And that's because when Irish people came over after the famine, they were regulated to the same class of of brown people and Irish people and Jamaican people were forced to be together and the Irish taught them English. Oh, okay. So that's why they sound and like they also have like uh like a cool bond like um like the Irish countries versus Jamaica. Like they the Irish countries if it's not one country, Jesus Louisus. But they have like a cool bond and like they have like a really cool history because of that. Because they in in the trenches learned a lot from each other which i think is really cool that is very cool i really love that i love history like that i love learning about like where society comes from you know like where we are and how we got here and if you the next time if you're speaking with a jamaican person or you find a jamaican creator on tiktok or whatever listen in and you'll be like wait a second and that's why because they they worked hand in hand so so close together for so many years under the oppressor's boot Interesting. Okay, so back to Salmonella very quickly. Um, No one taught these people that Salmonella was even a thing. You can't see germs, right? And also food safety was not their main concern. They had never had to deal with it before the war. And simply wiping your hands after touching chicken only helps about 10 times doing nothing. Where washing with soap helps 10,000 times more. Mm Mm-hmm. And these people didn't know that millions of homemakers not bacteria existed in the first place actually led us to typhoid Mary, which is a case that I do want to talk about in the future because it's one of the most interesting cases of biodiversity, in my opinion. And um, let's not talk about how the bathroom was a new thing in the 1950s. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, taking a bath indoors and shitting inside in the wind. That's what I call luxury baby, like 1000%. But like, they didn't know how to clean that shit. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. They did not know how to clean it. And uh, that also led to like just a bunch of, a bunch of disease. I was actually just talking about this today, how I feel that when it comes to cleaning, um, we're not taught how to do that even now. I feel, I feel like. No, we're definitely not. It gets brought up. Uh, like as you're growing up, like, you know, your parents mm-hmm. kind of teach you these things, but like no one tells you how to scrub your your bathtub. No one tells yeah. you how to like clean your kitchen top to bottom. And then you're just kind of figuring it out. And luckily we have the Internet. But there are mm-hmm. just some things that like you don't know you're supposed to do. And like your whole house could burn down if you don't do that. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just well, it's crazy. I will say I do think that's mostly regulated to white people. Um, I would agree with that 100%. And that is because of the phenomenon of like white people like fucking over their kids, which is talked about a lot. Um, if you're in the TikTok space, you've probably seen it a lot, but it's a, a lot about how like white people like are, they see themselves like, and this is a generalization and also talking about past generations, not necessarily ours or how we were kids now, but um, was very much like a. Uh, very like you're like a degree separated from your kid and you never you see your kid as a kid and not a future adult so then like finances aren't talked about and cleaning your house isn't talked about and all this other stuff because they yeah. were you you they were seen as a ward that you had for 
until they were 18 and then like they're on their own and it's not worth it to invest in your children kind of scenario. Dumb. Which also I could probably do a whole podcast episode on that too. We're just filling season two with me unpacking a lot of people's trauma, (laughs) which is fine. I had to do it myself, so I get it. Um, Okay. So because we're already like, we're only halfway through my stuff. So I'm just going to, let's just hop right back into this bitch. So back to our mid-century murder. Uh, The 1950s is when our undying consuming of plastics began as well. Nobel Prizes were given out during this decade for the advances in plastic sciences. It was cheaper, quicker, and easier to pump out products for the average consumer to buy. This led to them being in everything. It's like lead and plastic carried the 1950s so hard. It's kind of wild. This led to our clothing our furniture the drinkware as well plastic can be hard soft malleable but dependable and the mid-century home was now full of it remember that comfortable couch that we nestled into during our field trip made of plastic in a time full of exploding children's toys and cigarettes galore you can only imagine how many couches were bonfires before you even had the time to inhale The post-war home was one of the most dangerous homes to live in on record. Everything was flammable. The form of the couch was called a polyurethane form, and they were all the rage. When you think of a mid-century couch that has like the rounded out sides and like the the very comfortable sloping back, that was a, a plastic form. And then on top of that, you had these man-made plastic cushions also made out of plastic and polyurethane and the fun thing about polyurethane is that when it gets ignited would you guess that it turns into liquid and um no (laughs) no well it does straight up straight liquid and it would run down the side of the super cute chairs and form a puddle Becoming a pool of liquid fire underneath your plastic couch. And soaking into your fucking shag carpet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so stylistic. So nice. Um, so underneath your intensely flammable furniture, you now have this pool of fire casting a feral flame. Just to go wild in these perfect circumstances. But wait, there's more, because there's always more. Polyurethane, when burned, creates a fume that you don't need your chemistry set to figure out. You've definitely heard of it. It's called cyanide gas. (sighs) Yeah, it is. It sure is. And um, that would kill you quicker than the flame itself would go across the room. So... One thing about the 1950s homes is that open floor, like open floor plans were not a big hit in the good old golden era. So like you were just like trapped in an inferno, like filling with cyanide gas, basically because grandpa fell asleep like while smoking a cigarette. Yeah, I don't want to give you the figures of how many people died in that specific scenario. It's not good. Let's move on to an even maybe worse scenario because I'm telling you this era was not great. We also had plastic woven into our clothes then. I mean, why not? They were cheaper and quicker made. 
they weren't dangerous in their own right. But if you stood too close to a gas stove, you were bound to have a bad time. Absolute History did tell a story of this as well, of a young girl making tea for her mom. And she was unlucky enough that her dress caught fire and she passed away. Like just making tea, she just died. Um, And it's just absolutely crazy because this stuff just melts. I mean, it just melts. Um, I did look into this and I found a quote from a book authored by Deirdre Kelly. And I'll read it to you here. In the mid 1900s, women wearing the style of the day would burst into flames if their dress caught fire. And I do mean burst. Their dresses were so dangerously flammable that if they caught fire, it would spread in an instant sometimes leading to groups of women dying at the same time. It's not a buildup like, oh my gosh, you're smoking. Let me tamp that out and help you. It's like, ah, your girlfriend beside you is a ball of fire and now you're a ball of fire. And then boom, 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 boom. They're all balls of fire. It's an actual quote. Awful. These clothes were dangerous. I read a dissertation by Jane Speck of the University of Nebraska in which she presents that the number of injuries was estimated at between 150,000 to 300,000 annually just from these man-made plastics. The Flammable Fabrics Act was passed by Congress in 1953 with the intent of prohibiting the sales of these fabrics and wearing apparel that would easily ignite. Hats, gloves, and footwear were excluded, though. (sighs) Could you guess why capitalism? Maybe I don't know. The (laughs) purpose of the act was to discriminate between conventional fabrics, which present generally recognized hazards, and the special types of fabrics, which were highly dangerous and presented unusual hazards. A burning test standard was set. This standard did remove from the market many fabrics and garments that easily ignited or flash burned. The high pile and brush fabric used in sweaters and children's costumes in the 1950s were examples of highly flammable fabrics that were banned. Nothing says trick or treat. Like, sorry, I can't even finish it. Human combustion. Yeah. Oh, it's so sad. Oh, my God. Burn accidents continued to happen, however, when an individual was wearing regular apparel fabrics, which presented genuinely recognized hazards, right? So thus, in the next few years, action was instituted to increase consumer protection from burn injuries. In 1967, Congress enacted amendments to the act to increase the scope of consumer protection. Hats, gloves, and footwear were added, as were interior furnishings, right? Like your couches. (laughs) Paper, plastic, and other materials used in all wearing apparel and interior furnishings were included in that as well. So basically, until 1967, they could just, like, throw whatever they wanted on top of your head and hat and like had no consumer protections against it of course well why would you because if you do that people aren't gonna buy it yeah right i mean if it's not a flashy children's costume that could kill my kid because everyone and their mother has bonfires on halloween true oh, so crazy it's just so romantic to sit by the fireside in your poodle skirt and die yep 
Become a ball of flame. Nothing says romantic like that. Make America flammable again, baby. No? <laughs> that is another thing I kept running into in my research. So many of these deaths were women and little girls. Gender norms in the 1950s were these frilly little nightgowns and flowy dresses and poodle skirts and skirts meant to reinforce like the gentleness and the shapely form of women and what they were supposed to look like. These sweet young girls who were all dressed up in rayon socks with these little tulle puffs at the top. We've all seen them at Christmas time. These poor women were set ablaze just because they stood too close to a heater. In the 1950s, guards on electrics weren't even a thing. The opportunity to get yourself a good burn was ripe, I'm telling you. Unfortunately, 300 children died each year in England from burns alone. Oh my god, that's so Just sad. in England. Um, I didn't even look up the numbers for America because I knew like 300 already depressed me. I didn't want to know Yeah. about America. I couldn't do it. Um, because here's the fun thing plastic melts and then it hits your skin like it's mm -hmm. not like you can take off the, the dress it's not like you can kick off the socks it's not wool it's plastic like what a terrible way to go what a terrible way to go i couldn't imagine it's just so sad and tragic the making of man-made fabrics also introduced PFAs into our, or like PFAs, I think they're just PFAs now, but uh, into our waterways. Um, and as we know, plastics are becoming a huge issue for us in this century. Since the 1950s, many products commonly used by consumers and industry have been manufactured with or from PFAs. We hope to find a way to combat these forever chemicals, and I won't go too much detail into this because this topic honestly outrages me. We might have won the war on the world, but we lost the long con of post-war consumerism hard. So let's take a beat and relax again and take a long drag off that Marlboro for our health, and let's turn on the tube. So let's talk about that iconic television, a square piece of furniture typically made to be stylish, typically wooden. The television was a hit. By the 1960s, every other house had one. So their climb in the 50s was like no other piece of electronics. If these cozy pieces of family comfort were anything, they were just a ticking time bomb. Oh no. Yeah, dude, it's crazy. They had to be unplugged if not in use. You'd be sitting down watching the nightly news. Sudden you'd be running for your life, scooping up little Timmy because the TV was too hot and decided to have a meltdown. No. Sparks everywhere, smoke everywhere, dog. Yes, it was awful. The loudspeakers in these TVs typically had some form of rattan in front of them, like the nice little wooden wove patterns. Um, those love to trap in heat, and I don't know why two and two weren't put together. I do remember my grandfather telling me about how you had to like change, the, like change the knobs. There wasn't a remote back then. Yeah. And those things would get so hot that he like was like missing half of a fingerprint, even in like his 60s. Oh, my God. Yeah, not great. Um, the voltage of these TVs were what I would call not appreciated by their manufacturers, leading to fires. Um, so basically, I have written this podcast to tell you that everything in the 1950s um, was out to burn you. And if you weren't burnt, it was only a matter of time, basically. 
absolutely crazy. Yeah, these TVs would just like go go wild. Like the TVs we have now, luckily we have the you know history and science on our side at this point in a bunch of time where you don't ever really hear that happening anymore because they're insulated correctly and their motherboards are put together everything's illegal now that democratic red tape sometimes does help one who would have guessed who knew (laughs) oh no yeah absolutely fucking wild so let's talk about our last and certainly not least tragedy of the mid-century which is Abestos. Ah, yes. <laughs> Yummy. This is, exactly. Delicioso. This is a compound that is formed naturally. It's easily mined and easily distributed. Abestos has been used for centuries. The Romans actually used it as candle wicks because this is the one thing in this podcast that's actually flame retardant. What? I actually yeah. didn't know that. We finally got there. It might not catch fire, but it will shred your lung cancer. Oh, Woo-hoo. great. You know, pick, pick one. Pick, pick one. You know, you want to burn or... Um, in the late 19th century, large deposits of asbestos were discovered in parts of Canada and the northern United States. And when America was all build, build, build crazy post-war, the emergence of asbestos was a common construction material Uh, everywhere wages went up prices of houses came down and the people loved their abestos insulated homes so cozy and warm you know because little margaret was on fire in the kitchen and abestos kept that heat in baby i'll tell you i'm sorry let me just roll it down abestos was outlawed in 1989 which is the second best thing that happened that year shouts out to taylor swift If you or a loved one has been diagnosed with mesothelioma, you can think that magical mid-century era. Tragically, even today, approximately 90,000 people die from asbestos-related diseases globally each year. Even to today. Like, that's how long this uh, is reaching, which is not great. An estimated 125 million people worldwide remain at risk of occupational exposure to obestos still. Obestos, as we know now, was truly a silent killer. I found a study. um, It was actually a follow-up study of 162 men already working as insulators, actually called laggers, in 1940. And they had extended the survey from 1960 to 1970. Um, And by the end of 1970, there were 40 survivors when 108 had been expected. Jeez. So, yeah, 162 men down to 40 who worked in the asbestos industry. So, I mean, a true issue faced this great nation every time they took a breath. It was constant. So if it wasn't the plastic that you decorated your house with, it was the stuff that insulated you or what you were wearing. I don't even want to talk about the cars, you know, in that time. I mean, actual death traps everywhere. And even if you were like a white person from the highest society, these were still the things you were facing. So like this time was literally never good for anybody, which is the whole point of this podcast was this time was awful 
for everybody, including white people. But for some reason, white people are let's not say all of them. Not I mean, I know I'm aware that it wasn't a good time, but we're sold this nostalgia in this time that never really was. And um, so now that I have depressed you, let's take a moment to be grateful that we don't know all the things that are currently killing us. I'm sure in two decades, we'll take a look back and be like the houseplant craze killed thousands because soil should be outside or maybe the vapes aren't healthier than cigs or, you know, the microplast. Well, yeah, I mean, healthier than cigs. I don't know, man. Cigs really do be like out here killing people left and right, dog. I don't know. I think we think a popcorn lung was a was a was just COVID before COVID had a name. But, I'll you know, I'll keep that to myself, I guess. Anyway, um, I think what's going to be really fun is in a couple of decades, we're going to look back and be like, oh, no, the microplastics, they uh, they crossed over the blood brain barrier and we're all zombies. Ha <laughs> ha. So fun. Love that. Just really great. Anyway. Well, we would be if we were zombies. 